Thanks, Josh. My name is Mark. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah? Okay, good. My son's on a uh, Zoom meeting downstairs for college right now, so I'm just, uh, I was a little concerned with bandwidth, so if my voice starts to slur, I'm not drinking, uh, and I'll turn my uh, I'll turn my video off if I need to. So, uh, my name is Mark, recovered alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date here. Just give me a second here, guys. Sobriety date is September 6, 2013. Um, that is not when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous considerably uh, sooner than that. Uh, but September 6, 2013 is when my life changed, and that's when I had my last drink. Uh, I do have a sponsor. His name is Chris R. in Ingram, Texas. Um, and, and it's good to be back to grace group. So like Josh said, we met, um, right at the beginning of COVID and, and it's good to see grace group. It's one of the few meetings that, uh, that made it through the entire duration of COVID, you know, and, and, and I did speak early, uh, early in COVID at the grace group. And it's, it was really good to see grace group, um, make it through, you know, I've seen a lot of meetings come and go during COVID and uh, Grace Group made it all the way through. So it, it is an honor and it is a privilege to be here, as it always is an honor and a privilege to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, when Josh asked me to speak, um, like always, my my knee-jerk reaction is uh, is always to say no, right? And uh, and it's not because I don't want to be in service of in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's still this part of me whenever I'm asked to speak, it's, uh, it's, you got the wrong guy, you know, uh, there's so many, so many speakers that are more spiritual than me. And there's so many more speakers that, you know, that know, that are more, know the big book better than I do. Right. You know, and there's just this, this feeling that, uh, that I really don't belong. So, but again, it is an honor and it is a privilege and, and I'm just really happy to be here. Um, you know, I heard a few of you chatting about Zoom prior to the meeting, and you know, like a few of you on here, my my recovery has rocketed through Zoom through the Zoom days. You know, it's it's truly introduced me to uh, to a global village. You know, and what I have seen there, you know, is there there's some people out there that are in some very very sick pockets of recovery for for lack of a better term. And Zoom has given the opportunity for so many people to get linked into some really good, healthy recovery, you know, and, and to have their own programs go to a whole new level, right? And like I said, it, it truly has become a global village. Um, it's how I met Josh. I, you know, I've been working with Josh for, for a few years now. We... Uh, we have an accountability group every day with uh, with roughly 20 men checking in with each other. Uh, step 11 accountability group that we're doing uh, upon awakening and evening review. So we're, we're all linked in with each other. We do a thing on steel on steel called steel on steel uh, every six weeks. So, you know, there's some really cool things going on. We're, you know, staying connected with each other. So, and, you know, as far as Zoom goes too, it's given me the opportunity to stay connected and and to work with with others from other cities you know um a friend of mine chris i see him on the meeting here right now i was in uh i was in thailand 
over the winter. And, you know, I just met Chris and he was in the treatment center uh, just prior to me leaving. Zoom gave me the opportunity to, to take him through some step work while I was in Thailand, right? You know, and regardless of, of if that was good or bad for Chris, it's the very thing that helps keep me sober. You know, um, meetings, meetings don't keep me sober. They never did. They never will. Um, they're a great place for me to meet other alcoholics, maybe to find a newcomer, uh, to have some friends, to share some thoughts around the big book. But it's, uh, it's, it's that one-on-one -on -one work with other alcoholics that, that ultimately, that ultimately keeps me sober, you know? So, um, but I got the, I got my big book here and, you know, this baby's bound together by duct tape. It's old, it's had some use and. And, uh, and I do absolutely love the big book and I'll just maybe share of a, a few stats around the big book that this is, uh, there's been 50 million copies of, of the big books that have been sold around the world. Uh, 227 fellowships have picked up the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, right? Which I think is really cool. Now, don't get me to name them. I don't think I could name more than 10, um, but I'm big on singleness of purpose. You know, you've got all these different fellowships picking up the 12 steps and the 12 tra traditions. Um, but when I'm in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am Mark, a recovered alcoholic. You'll never hear me announce myself as an, as an ANDA, right? I do belong in other fellowships. Um, but when I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm an alcoholic. When I'm in another fellowship, I'm Mark, an addict, um, out of respect for that fellowship. Uh, but the big book was also named by Time Magazine as one of the most influential books written in English. The Library of Congress named it as uh, one of the books that helped shape America and arguably one of the most uh, important things to happen in the 20th century. Uh, like there's been millions of lives saved by, you know, the, the directions and the message in this big book. And I'm certainly uh, I'm certainly one of them. But I always make the joke that uh, that I spent roughly fifty thousand dollars on uh on this big book uh which costs approximately twelve dollars i believe so fifty thousand dollars on a twelve dollar big book and that's what i spent basically on uh on treatment centers um counselors therapists doctors uh tony robbins even got some of that money you know um and i and i guess i can revert that back to anyone in this meeting is what did your big book cost you, right? And and not just monetarily, you know, in lost relationships, in divorces, in lost time, right? Lost opportunities, money, you know? Um, this is a very exclusive and unique membership and it's very expensive. I know that I earned my seat here and I paid for my seat here and, um, you know, and I'm, I'm truly grateful to have it. Um, as I uh, as I mentioned, as Josh mentioned, I'm uh, I'm from Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. And for those of you that don't know where that is, that is uh, approximately 100 miles north of the Montana border. Um, Alberta is kind of like if, if you were to make a comparison to a to a state, it would be very similar to Texas. There's lots of guns here. There's lots of big trucks. Uh, we're big on oil and gas. Uh, very, very redneck. Uh, it's 
place where men are men and sheep are nervous, right? So, but it is a place where, you know, it is a little bit of a, of a rougher province. Um, as far as myself goes, you know, I, I, I came from a, um, a very, very good family, um, good parents. Uh, but one of the things around my family is, uh, you know, the way that we, uh, that we would show love to each other was, was always around, was always around drinking, especially in the men, you know, whatever we did in order for us to show love to each other, there was always alcohol involved. And, you know, if you give my family tree a good shake, uh, there's alcoholics everywhere. Right. And I'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along here, as far as, a, as the genetic predisposition to, to alcohol. But, um, you know, I, I had a pretty good childhood. Uh, I, I ended up being a, a golf pro, uh, a successful businessman. There was a lot of good things uh, on the go as far as the exterior went. Uh, on the brochure, I, uh, I look good, right? But, but there was an internal condition that was going on with me that I never quite felt right. I never quite felt okay inside. And, and that was one of the things even around coming uh, around Alcoholics Anonymous for a long period of time is I never quite knew what it meant to be an alcoholic. So I'm not going to talk a, a whole bunch about my war story tonight. My personal feelings are that is that war stories um, I don't think they actually bring us together. You know, uh, my thoughts are is they actually, they, they can pull us apart. And that was certainly my experience with that because I was around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for, for many, many, many years, seven years in and out, in and out, in and out, right? Not being given the message of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but as importantly, I, I never knew what it actually meant to suffer from the disease of alcoholism. Right. And I, and I would hear people say that uh, I'm an alcoholic because I've got four DUIs. Like, well, I don't have four DUIs. Maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Right. Or I'm an alcoholic because I spent 15 years in prison. Well, I didn't spend 15 years in prison. Maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Right. Or I'm an alcoholic because I live under a bridge. You know, well, I, I don't live under a bridge. Maybe uh, maybe I don't belong here. Right. But through some good sponsorship and um, and the big book, uh, I, I got to find out what this illness really is, you know, and, and maybe that's what I want to talk about here tonight is, is the illness of alcoholism and maybe how that how that applies to me. And and that was the beauty of the of going through the doctor's opinion with a qualified sponsor, because, you know, I was like I mentioned, I spent a lot of money trying to figure out what the hell was wrong with me. Why, why did I always feel the way that I felt sober? Why could, uh, you know, why was I drinking the way I was drinking? Like, what was wrong with me? Right. And, and I'd been diagnosed with ADHD and ADD and bipolar and depressed and manic and, you know, you name it, I'd been uh, diagnosed with it. But I remember going through the uh, doctor's opinion with the qualified sponsor and it was like the gates of hell finally opened and and let me out i'm like that's what i am right that's what i am that's what i suffer from and i suffer from a threefold illness 
you know, I got two qualifying factors, but a threefold illness. And, uh, and that first part is, is I have a physical allergy to ethyl alcohol, right? So once I put alcohol in my system, I react differently than the average person does, right? But it applies roughly to 10% of the population. Uh, 90% of the people can, can drink normally, right? But for someone like me, when I put ethyl alcohol in my system, my system breaks out in a yearning for more alcohol. So and how that looks like for, for someone like me is, is my plan is to have one or two drinks and I'll have five or I'll have 10 or I'll have 20 or I'll have 20 and call my dealer or I'll have 20 and call my dealer and go to the casino. Might end up on an airplane. I don't know. Might end up peeking out my window for eight straight hours, seeing if the cops are out there, right? And, you know, you've probably already got the hint that there were some outside issues mixed in with the alcohol, right? So, but the thing is, is my intentions and what actually happened were, were, were very, very rarely aligned, right? I put alcohol, ethyl alcohol in my system and the grill has got the wheel, right? I've now become a passenger and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where we're going to go, what we're going to do and how the night's going to end up. It might be me ended up alone going for hours on, on end. It might me be me out in some bizarre escapade. Um, but I really just don't know what's going to happen. Um, Bob D out in Vegas says it so brilliantly. Uh, the physical allergy can be summed up like having sex with a gorilla because once it starts, it ain't over until the gorilla says it's over, right? And that was my experience with that too, right? Once I started, I had no idea what was going to happen after that. But I mean, if this was a, um, a one-part illness, very, very simple solution, just stop, right? Like if I have a, an, an allergy to strawberries, it's a simple solution. Just stop eating strawberries. I'm not going to start trying to figure out maybe I should switch brands of strawberries or maybe just eat strawberries on the weekends, right? Or maybe taper down on my strawberries or maybe I should just uh, have strawberries while I'm in Mexico, right? So, you know, that, but that takes us to the second part of this illness, which is the mental obsession, the obsession of the mind, right? And I'll probably bounce around the big book here just a tiny bit tonight. Um, but the main problem centers in the mind and not the body. So basically, my sponsor, Chris, he calls this a secret handshake of Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's a, a paragraph over on page 24. It's in italics. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against that first drink, right? So if anyone tells me that they choose to quit drinking, congratulations and good for you. But by definition, you're not an alcoholic, right? By definition, you probably don't even need to be here. Okay. But I have a mind that brings me to this strange mental blank spot 
And, and, and like I said, I was a great quitter, but I couldn't never stay quit. And how that would look for me is I would wake up after a run full of, full of shame, full of guilt, full of remorse. And then that firm resolution that that is it. That's over. I am never, ever, ever going to do that again. Right. And, and absolutely mean it, you know, Again, it means so much that you could hook me up to a polygraph test and I pass, right? And, you know, and, and the fear, fear was never enough to, to, to get me sober, to get past that obsession of the mind. You know, I remember I got my first DUI, right? And, and you know, just saying to God, please get me through this. Please get me through this. And I promise I'll never drink again. And then I get a second DUI, right? And it's like, God, please just get me through this. I promise I'll never drink again, you know? And then I remember there was a time there and I was in Mexico and I got caught with a uh, a little white powdery substance and, and got caught by the Mexican feds and and I got in some trouble, right? And, um, and I just remember trying to make this deal with God. It's like, God, please just get me through this. And I promise, I promise I'll never, ever do this again. You know, and, and and thank goodness the the Mexico feds are a little bit crooked, and then I was able to buy my way out of there. But the point being is that each and every one of those times, I'm telling the truth. Like I said, you pass me up to hook me up to a polygraph test, and and I pass. But I could never stay quit. I would hit that strange mental blank spot. Sometimes, maybe even later that day, right? I would be back at it yet again. Right. And, you know, another friend of mine out in Toronto makes the analogy that the mental obsession could be summed up as a dog returning to its vomit. You know, he, the dog knows it's a bad idea. And if you could talk to the dog or if the dog could talk, he's like, yeah, I don't know of any idea why I'm doing this. But yet here I go. Right. You know, and that's my experience with the mental obsession. You know, I could quit, but I could never stay quit. Right. I would always find these these strange mental blank spots. And those are the two qualifying factors that make me an alcoholic, that makes anyone an alcoholic, right? It sums it up on, on page 44 of the big book. You know, the, the, uh, the big book spends the doctor's opinion in the first 43 pages all talking about step one and what it actually means to be an alcoholic. And then it comes down to control and choice. Two questions, right? When you start, do you know when you're going to stop? When you stop, can you stay stopped? Right. And, and it's no more complicated than that. Those are the two things, things that make us a, a unique entity. But there's something else called the, the spiritual malady or the malady of the spirit. And I know sometimes out there in a land, you got these two parters and there's three parters and they're arguing with each other. And to me, it's like, I think they all just need to get over themselves. But at the end of the day, the alcoholics don't own the spiritual malady, right? It says right in our big book, it says this is part of the human condition. But the spiritual malady is how I feel in a sober state, right? And I truly believe that the spiritual malady with alcoholics is much, much more prevalent. But that's how I feel when I'm not drinking. I'm restless. I'm irritable. And I'm discontented. I don't feel okay in my skin. Alcohol was never my problem. Alcohol was my solution. 
right? Alcohol made me feel better. I started drinking at the age of, of 12. Um, I think I needed one when I was six, right? Because that's about how far back I can remember that I didn't feel okay inside. I felt different from other people. You know, I was absolutely riddled in fear. When I discovered alcohol, um, life didn't get worse. It got better. It got significantly better for a period of time, right? Um, I was no longer afraid to talk to women. You know, I wasn't afraid to fight. I was better in business. I was better with alcohol. Alcohol was indeed my best friend, you know? Um, and it worked until it didn't, right? It worked and it worked. It's kind of that, that creditor uh, that it gives and it gives and it gives and then it gives and then wants everything back one day with interest, right? But the big book further clarifies the the spiritual malady with the with the bedevilments over on on page fifty two and and uh, my sponsor would always teach me to turn uh, statements into questions and he asked me these questions right were you having trouble in personal relationships I'm like yep were you having trouble controlling your emotional nature I'm like yeah were you afraid of misery and depression I'm like yeah were you having trouble making a, a happy living? Like, yeah. Feelings of uselessness? Yes. Full of fear? Yes. Were you unhappy? Yes. Were you having trouble being of real help to other people? Yes. You know, alcohol, that's how I feel when I'm not drinking. Alcohol treated my alcoholism while at work. You know, and another example of, uh, of the spiritual malady for me is, you know, I remember I was, um, I always wanted this outside validation, right? And I was, remember I was uh, working with this, uh, with this group uh, of people. It was a bare mountain. It was a very, very large condo in a golf project. And, and it had a, uh, a number of NHL players. And I got involved with this condo project out there. And, and through some hard work, I was able to, sell more condos than all of their entire staff combined and and i remember they were they had this dinner in 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 my honor out in victoria british columbia and you know so we have this dinner and there's a couple of uh hockey players that were uh, in the nhl hall of fame and and all i can remember it's like okay this is it like i've got this external validation i have arrived right but all I'm looking at is where's the booze, right? I am coming out of my skin in a sober state. I am like literally fidgeting in my skin. Like I said, I never had a drinking problem. I had a sobriety problem. Alcohol was my solution, right? And, you know, all I'm looking at is where's the wine? Where's the wine, right? And I tell him back the first glass of wine and then I get about halfway through my second and I'm just like, Oh, right now I can talk now I can be the guy that they thought I that I thought I was right and that's um that's that's a spirituality right that's that's how I am in a sober state so I spent a lot of time and money in treatment centers and doctors and and trying to find out why am I an alcoholic and I and I heard this She's not an AA speaker, but she's a she knows a lot about alcoholism and addiction. 
goes, the, the, why is the booby prize? You know, like I've spent thousands of dollars and, and hours upon hours and upon hours trying to figure out why, why am I like this? You know, and we steered around childhood trauma and genetics and accessibility and programming. And she's like, the why is the booby prize? You know, the important part is what's the solution? You know, at the end of the day, really, is it is it that important? The why? Is it genetics? Is it trauma? Is it accessibility? Is it programming? Is it a little bit of everything? Who cares? Right? At the end of the day, let's focus on the solution. And that's the other thing that uh, that some good sponsorship has exposed me to through Alcoholics Anonymous. That is think of it like a three-legged stool, right? I got a three-part problem. I got a three-part solution. And the, the three parts of that solution is recovery, unity, and service, right? And that was my... Um, it was seven years of coming in and out, in and out, in and out of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was in a, I was in a pretty sick pocket of recovery. I didn't know it was sick at the time. I'm just new and I'm just want to get well. Right. But I remember just being told, go to meetings, go to meetings, go to meetings, 90 and 90, you know, and I remember going to nine or 30 to hundred meetings in 90 days. And uh, I wanted to put a bullet in my head, like, okay, what's that all about? right? You know, I'm going to meetings, I'm doing what I'm told to do. And I'm not getting better. I'm in fact getting worse. Right? What I wasn't told is the the solution is actually a three part solution, right? The recovery being the 12 steps, the spiritual program of action that no one was even discussing in the uh, in the pocket of recovery that I was in, you know, and then also the unity, the meetings, the fellowship, right? And that's the part I was in, but that was the only part I was in, right? And then the other part of being service, right? Sponsoring other alcoholics, doing the things uh, sometimes that I don't want to do, the self-sacrifice, right? You know, and when I call my sponsor, Chris, out in uh, in Texas, and I'm all twisted up, and it's usually around relationship drama, because that's what we all get twisted up over generally, right? Relationship drama, at least with me, it is. And uh, I'll call out there if I'm a little twisted up in my skin. He'll always ask the question before we get into anything else is plot yourself in the circle in the triangle. Where are you? Right? Let's just do a little inventory of where you are at. So we'll draw the circle in the triangle. It's like, okay, recovery. What are you doing in recovery? Are you starting the day with prayer and meditation? Are you ending the day with prayer and meditation? Right? Where do you where are you at with your step in 10 and 11 on a daily basis? Um, where are you at in your amends, right? Unity. How many meetings are you getting to a week? Uh, are you an island? Are you actually talking to other alcoholics? Or are you separated yourself yet again from, from everyone else? You know, and then the big thing that he really stresses, as did my original sponsor is service, sponsorship, working with other alcoholics, right? Um, he said the, the really big part being the, uh, the service part. There was a, um, there was a recent study in, uh, in Baltimore, not recent, it was a few years ago, but it was a study out in Baltimore, Maryland. And it was a study of, um, of people that entered into recovery and they split them up into three groups. And the first group was a group that 
just attended meetings. And as we all probably know, their recovery rate sucked, right? And then the second group was a group that uh, went to meetings, got a sponsor and did the steps. And, and I would have thought that that group would have had really, really good recovery rates, but the study showed, and it was a very extensive non-funded study, showed that, that while the recovery rates were, were better than the first group, it really wasn't that much better. And then they studied the third group, which is a group that went to meetings, got a sponsor, did the steps, and became sponsors. And that group had a 75% recovery rate, right? And that reconciles with the forward to, I think it's the second edition, when they talked about 50% got sobered at once and 25% after a few relapses, 75% recovery rate, right? So, you know, that's a part that we, we really try to focus on the most, right? Is are you working one-on-one -on -one with other alcoholics, right? That's why I'm doing Zoom meetings while I'm in Thailand, doing step work, right? As opposed to, you know, because like said the, the meetings are great in Thailand. They really were. But the part that kept me sober was doing the one-on-one -on -one work, you know? So, but I had this, um, maybe just kind of touch on uh, on me hitting my bottom. So I was uh, in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous for, for a very long period of time, but there was this, this part in my, uh, my 30s where, you know, I had a, an external bottom. And when I mean external bottom, I mean, you know, the, the girl had just left me. I was broke. I was on the verge of bankruptcy. Um, by all benchmarks, I had reached my my bottom my external bottom right um but what i didn't realize at the time is i still had a little bit of fight left in me and and i had a case of the if, if onlys right if only i could just get the girl if only i could just get the right vehicle if only i could just get that truck if only i could just get the house right so through a change of career maybe uh, some hard work and some good luck, I, um, my life shifted and, and I ended up in a spot several years later that everything that I thought I ever wanted on an external basis, everything that society ever told me I needed on an external basis, I got. And I hit my true, true bottom when I had everything that society told me that I ever needed, right? I remember I was in Maui and I was with this, this beautiful woman and I had a number of rental properties. I had a very nice vehicle. I had a good job. I had everything that I ever thought that I wanted or needed in order to be happy. And I remember just looking in the mirror and I'm like, Fuck, it's still there, right? It's still there that spiritual malady that uncomfortableness in my skin and and that to me is my true bottom and i believe and i think this reconciles with the big book is that all of us have the same bottom because it's an internal thing right terror bewilderment frustration and despair the four hideous horsemen Right. And I think that's a language that someone on a park bench understands. And that's a language someone on Park Avenue understands. 
if this illness was rectified by money, there wouldn't be millionaires blowing their brains out, right? You know, and and to me, I that was a way worse bottom than my external bottom because it's like, what the hell do I do now? You know, what do I do now? And and it got so bad. I got to these uh, these feelings of impending doom. I um I never wanted to die. I know a lot of people uh, wanted to commit suicide in uh, you know either during their drinking or in recovery, but for me, it was more of these feelings of impending doom. I thought I was going to die every minute of every day for a period of about a month, right? And it was just shortly after this trip out of Maui. And, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I started to do the Lord's Prayer. Um, mainly because, like I said, I... I was one of the ones that showed up here, not quite an atheist, but certainly agnostic, um, very, very defiant towards spirituality, defiant towards religion. But I, I had these feelings of impending doom, and I really thought I was going to die. And I thought, you know what, just in case something's on the other side, I better start hedging my bets here, you know. And, uh, and I, started, uh, I started doing the Lord's Prayer. And some things started to happen. And I truly believe that Anyone that's got any kind of length of healthy sobriety, something happens along the way between seconds and inches, right? You might have turned left instead of turning right. Maybe a speaker came into your treatment center. Um, maybe you attended a meeting that you never would have normally attended. Not sure, but something happened between seconds and inches that shifted your life forever, right? And for me, my entire life got shifted through a click of a mouse. Um, I was seven years in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, dying in AA, right? Suffering from the spiritual malady in this state of purgatory, hating it in AA, but also knowing that I couldn't drink anymore. And my life shifted in the click of a mouse. And this is before Zoom was pos was, was popular. But I, I ended up in an online meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous um, roughly a decade ago. And, and it was a group that, that was like no other group I'd ever been exposed to before. Um, they cared more about my life than my feelings, right? And, um, and a big thing with them was to get going on the work and get going on to the work right away. And if you're going to be a member of that group, um, they were going to assign you a sponsor that day and you're going to get busy or get out. Right? And of course, I was offended because I'm an alcoholic. I'm easily offended, but I was also very intrigued and I was also very desperate. And, you know, and even to this day, the, the word God, G-O-D, was truly the gift of desperation, you know, and, and I got connected with somebody and I was willing to do the work and we did the work and we did the work quickly, right? Roughly about somewhere between two and three weeks. Uh, I was through the work. I was making amends. And and one of the big things, and my original sponsor, I was with her for about a year before I uh, switched over to Chris out in Texas. But a big thing with, uh, her name was Anne uh, in New York. And, and uh, a big thing with her was once you're through this work, you're going to carry this message to other alcoholics, right? This is not about you anymore. And that third step prayer is in essence a contract between you and God that if you help God's kids, he will relieve you of the bondage of self. 
and and I would call Anne kind of with, you know, because the pocket recovery that I was in at the time, it was taught to us that it, that a sponsor's like your life coach, right? You know, come to me with all your problems and I'll solve them for you. And, uh, and you know, they'll even maybe help you out with color socks to wear in the morning, right? But uh, with Anne, it was very different. Um, I would call there usually with drama. And she was a lot rougher than, than anybody I've ever been exposed to, but she was precisely what I needed at the time. And she would always ask me the question, did you help another alcoholic today? And if the answer was no, lick in the dial tone, right? <laughs> so, um, and, and I didn't like that. And, and, and it drove me crazy and I was offended, but it taught me my ultimate path out of this which again reconciles with that study that we talked about. It's the sponsors that 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 truly have the good juice in this program, and it taught me that I don't go out and help others after I feel better. I go out and I help others in order to feel better. Right? And that's one of the paradoxes of this program is that so many people think that I can't help anyone until I'm well. It's like no, it's the other way around. You got to go help some people in order to get well. You know, and and that's what I do, right? The the days that I'm all twisted up in recovery and I'm I'm feeling sorry for myself and I'm riddled resentment, I'm riddled with fear, you know, those are the times where I know I get to got to go to one of the uh, sicker type meetings and and look for someone to pull out of there and, and share the message with, right? And, and with that, that's uh that's been my go-to you know, for the, for the bulk of my recovery is working with so many people one-on-one, um, taking them through the big book. So, um, how am I doing for time here? So I'll just share a little bit about what my life is like now. Um, my life has got, uh, has got purpose. It's got meaning, you know, uh, I I've got to, to see this a fellowship here in my hometown grow up around me. It's been absolutely amazing. Um, I've uh, I started a uh, an, a group email called the Solution to Recovery. Some of you guys might even get the articles, right? You know, I, I started that uh, many years ago, and you know, this thing that it's grown to, you know, I think there's like just about six hundred people on there now, and one hundred and fifty thousand opens on these recovery articles that I've sent out, and. You know, like that wasn't that wasn't part of my plan. You know, that wasn't part of my plan. That's something that's been just given to me through God. And and like I said, my life is has has purpose now. But the big thing for me is is I'm I've been free from the obsession to drink. You know, I can walk Earth a free man. That was one of the big things that was uh, that was taught to me in treatment, to have this big long trigger list, and you can't go here and you can't go there, right? And uh, you know, my sponsor Chris has said on a number of occasions, "Trigger is the name of a horse, and it's dead." <laughs> you know, so if you got a good strong program, you know, you truly can walk Earth a free person. You know, I'm not cocky, I'm not complacent. Right. I've been put in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I can go to places like Las Vegas to the Las Vegas Roundup. I can go to places in Thailand. Right. I can go to these places where the addictions counselors would have lost their mind, you know, saying, you can't go there. You're going to get triggered, you know. And, and that's the beauty of this program 
is I can absolutely walk Earth a free person, safe and protected, provided that um, I maintain fit spiritual condition. And that's not God's job. That's my job, right? God will do his part as long as I do my part. And that's the, you know, I just talking to a guy yesterday. There's good news and bad news here. The good news is a way out. It's very, very simple. But the bad news, you don't get any days off, right? And, um, you know, and now I think so much of that goes off of that step one experience, right? If you truly know what you are and you know you are absolutely screwed, that, you know, you'll start making this a way of life. And that's what I've done. And with that, the gifts of sobriety truly, truly keep on giving to me, right? I can walk earth a free person. Uh, I'm a better father. I'm a better businessman. I'm a better friend. I'm better in relationships. And that's all by putting Alcoholics Anonymous first, right? Whatever I put second then becomes first class, right? Um, and maybe I'll just finish with a poem here. I think we're getting just a little bit uh, towards the end of the hour here. So I'm going to finish with a poem. And this one goes out to... To any one of the uh, the big book thumpers, the fundamentalists, the ones that have taken flack in the meetings, and you know who you are, right? And we're uh, we're we're all fighting for the same cause. And and this 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 poem goes out to you guys. It's uh, it's a poem that reportedly was written on the wall of Mother Teresa's home for children in Calcutta, India, and it's uh, Mother Teresa's. It's the anyway poem. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you'll win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see in the final analysis, it is between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Good stuff, buddy. Good stuff.